<laughs> Thank you very much. What a warm welcome. <laughs> Stabbed, stoned, burnt, beheaded, impaled, clubbed, and crucified. No, not the fate of Henry VIII's wives, but actually what ultimately happened to the 12 disciples of Jesus. It's thought that all but one of them were martyred for their faith. Now this morning, we're going to continue our Pursuing Jesus series, and we're looking at the early life and ministry of Jesus. So we're in Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, feel free to flick to it, starting from verse 12 this morning. Uh, It will come up behind me if you want to follow it there. So in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12, and it says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, who you named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And then this is the bit we're really going to focus on from verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. You will go, uh, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Ouch. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this word of God that we have preserved for us and for our good. And Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning, as you've been amongst us already and are with us, as you've promised, would you help us understand Jesus and what he's saying, what he said to his disciples back then, and what Jesus is saying to us 
his disciples right now. Holy Spirit, help us to be responsive, to be open-hearted as we pursue Jesus in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at this. Um, well, for me, I first realized this passage sounds familiar. I, I read this not so long ago. In fact, I preached on something very similar to this only 18 months ago called the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at Matthew chapter 5, and I began looking at this thinking, oh, here we go, I'm preaching the same stuff again, but, you know, I'll, be, I'll do what I'm... Uh, and then I realized, hold on a minute, it might not be as simple as that. I actually believe, come to understand, that uh, what Luke records here in Luke chapter 6 and what Matthew records in Matthew chapter 5 are different occasions. Maybe around the same time, quite likely very soon after one another, but different nonetheless. And so I I believe it helps us to understand the occasion in Luke chapter 6 vis-a-vis the occasion in Matthew chapter 5 if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying and if we're going to follow him as his disciples today. So, to start with, I've got a little grid, a little matrix, a little table for you on the slide behind me to compare Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. My big head is probably in the way. But anyway, you'll, you'll hear what I'm saying. In, in Matthew chapter 5, we're told that Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. It's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, colloquially. But in Luke chapter 6, we discover Jesus went down from the mountainside with them and stood, he's no longer sitting, he's now standing, on a level place. So if you like, I would like to label Luke chapter 6, the preach on the plain. You don't fall off so easy, I guess. I'm glad the floor is flat this morning. It makes it a little bit easier for my stand and everything. But there, there we go. Different occasions. I do believe also the audience, who he was specifically trying to talk to on these occasions, was different. In Matthew chapter 5, we're told that Jesus saw the crowds and the disciples were there and he began to teach them. I believe that them refers to everyone, the crowds, including the disciples. He goes on and uh, recites these blessings, but they're quite general. In, his, in their application, he says, blessed are the, the poor, the mourning, the hungry. Um, but then in Luke chapter 6, I believe it's the disciples who he's specifically talking to. Luke, in recording this event, says, looking at his disciples, very explicit, he said. Yeah, the crowd was still there. Many people had gathered. He was healing. He was saying amazing things. People would come to be healed and set free. But Jesus looked at his disciples and said. And then the way he worded these blessings, although they're quite similar, are much more personal. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you when you weep. Blessed are you when you are hungry, when people hate you. Much more personal in his language. Uh, Just noting as well, if you do remember, if you have looked at Matthew 5 before, you might remember that there are eight or nine blessings. Blessed are this, that, and the other, up to nine of them. And there are no mention of woes or curses. But here, in Luke chapter 6, we've got four blessings and four corresponding uh, curses or, or woes. They kind of match up. They pair up. And they're some of the ones mentioned in Matthew 5, but not all of them. And he's shaken the order around a little bit. Well, he's at liberty to do so. He's a preacher who's used previous material. That's okay. (laughs) 
but he's using it with a different bent, a different slant, a different message, and a subset of what he's used before. And what I found also interesting is the language. So in, in Matthew chapter 5, I think the language is quite spiritual in nature. He talks about the poor, yes, but blessed are the poor in spirit. When those people recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, recognize they've got nothing that, that credits them with God. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for being right with God and doing things that are right in God's eyes. Those who are pure in heart. But now in Luke chapter 6 on the plane, on the flat, he's being, I believe, a little bit more literal. Blessed are you who are poor. There's no, there's no suffix. Blessed are you who hunger now. There's, there's, there's no qualification. It, it's, it's, it's much more literal in his uh, language. I mean, imagine the scene. I, I gave you the first bit of, of that passage from verse 12 because it kind of sets the scene. It gives you a flavor of what's what the context is when Jesus started talking. You can imagine if you were one of the disciples and you were the one of those whose name was given out on the mountain. Jesus had called 12 of them to follow him specifically and designated them apostles, sent ones. Oh, you would have felt quite excited by this. And, and of course, what was going on was very exciting. I mean, people were being healed everywhere. People were coming and, and whatever they had by way of ailment, they went away not ill well. And, and, and demons were coming out of people. It was very demonstrative and people were going home seemingly in their right mind in, and well again. It was an exciting time. And a crowd of admirers had gathered around Jesus. This was going well. You, you'd chosen the right team. You were, you, you were pleased about this, I imagine. So I wonder what would have been Jesus' first team talk to his new recruits. Imagine you're one of the football teams in the Premier League and, and again the manager's been sacked and a new manager's come in and you're sitting in the dressing room anticipate what, what's the first message? What's, is it going to be some tactical master plan? Some way of tying the opposition in knots like a Jurgen Klopp? Or is it, is it going to be a rousing motivational speech like some general in some war? is going to try and motivate his troops? Is it some type of State of the Union address that Jesus is going to give on this first team talk to his new recruits? Some, some great deep thinking kind of assessment of the world and, and, and what needs to be done. What does Jesus do in this first discipleship training lesson number one? He gives them four blessings and four woes. <laughs> Hello? What? I don't know if it fits in any of those categories, Jesus. What are you going, what's going on here? What is he trying to tell them? I think one of the things he's trying to underline for his disciples as they come to terms with their decision to follow Jesus is this. It's going to hurt. This discipleship thing, this following me thing that you've committed to, it's going to cost there's an ouch. It's going to cost you everything. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it in the end. I think Jesus is identifying, if you like, four potential idols 
in the lives of his disciples. Things that we need to root out, things we need to get rid of, things we need to be destroyed and no longer be part of us in a pursuit type way. Jesus is saying you need to give up some things if you're going to follow me. And he's identified four of them and he's, he's kind of repeated himself in the woes, kind of in the inverse to help us make sure we've got the message. You know, to live for Christ is to die to self. You do know that. And dying to self involves some very practical things. It involves dying to wealth. It involves dying to satisfaction. It involves dying to our happiness. It involves dying to our popularity. Ouch. Jesus said elsewhere, didn't he, Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't. You can't serve both. And neither can you pursue God and pursue materialism, to put it in more modern language. You can't pursue Jesus and pursue worldly hedonism. You can't pursue Jesus and worldly popularism. I don't mix. See, right from the beginning, right from the beginning, with all the excitement going on, Jesus is making sure his disciples do understand this involves complete surrender. It's going to cost you. It could even cost you money and pleasure and tears and friends following me. You do get that, don't you? I think it's his message uh, right from the beginning. But it will be worth it. Let me just put the other message in there. It, it, it is worth it. And that's what Jesus is trying to underline. Jesus is promising his disciples, just listen to this, the riches of God's kingdom. It is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours, if you follow me. Wow. Not a kingdom of this earth that rise and fall, that come and go, that conquer and then are conquered. No, his kingdom and his permanent riches in all glory and splendor of heaven, they are yours. If you follow Jesus. What a great promise. He's promising eternal delights. He's promising deep-seated joy to those who pursue him wholeheartedly. Oh, and get this. Great heavenly rewards for any who are hated because of Jesus. For any who are even demonized because of their association with him. This future grace, this eternal glory is secure, promised by Jesus for those who follow him now. And I do believe we get to experience some of it now. Not all of it, it's still to come. Let's not, let's not downplay what, what's to come, but we get some. We get a taste of these riches, these glories, these provisions, these, these pleasures of following him. I just want to clarify a few things, uh, make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. There's always a danger though by saying it, and then you didn't hear what I wasn't saying, and now you hear what I'm, you think I'm saying it. But anyway, I'll take the risk. I'll take the risk. Um, the blessing that Jesus is promising here doesn't come from pursuing poverty. It doesn't come from pursuing hunger or sorrow or isolation. It comes from pursuing Jesus. That's the bless. The blessing comes from following him. Let me say something else I'm not saying. Uh, I mean, I've even confused myself. Anyway. <laughs> uh, money can be an idol whether you're in plenty or in want. Okay? And 
The amount you have, whether it's a lot or a little, doesn't necessarily indicate your level of discipleship, okay? So we're, we're not looking at that. Yet whatever your means, now or in the future, I think you can expect, if you're following Jesus, moments of ouch <laughs> in the area of money or the area of satisfaction or pleasures or whatever it might be or popularity. You can expect those ouch moments of discipleship to come up in your life. God wants to use them. He's doing it for a purpose because he wants this stuff out of you because he's the one to sit on your throne in, in your life and there's no room for anybody else or anything else. Just clarify as well, I think Jesus here is referring to the consequences of following him. Now, in life, for all sorts of reasons, we may take a financial hit, an emotional hit, or a relational hit. And there's all sorts of reasons out there for that. Um, but Jesus is narrowing down. No, I'm talking about those specific hits you take that come from following me. Those ones. We understand it in the area of persecution. He ends up on the theme of persecution. We're not just talking suffering generally. There's a lot of suffering, and you may suffer. But that suffering that comes because of your association with me, persecution, we know a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, maybe not at all in, in this nation, in these times. Many around the world in the past and in these days know what persecution really is uh, for following Jesus. I think he makes it really clear because at the end of the blessing section, if you look at verse 22, he said, Blessed are you for this, that, and the other, and when they hate you, because of the Son of Man. Because of the Son of Man. I think that phrase really encapsulates the whole theme that he's opened up here. It's, it's costs that come because of the Son of Man, because you're following the Son of Man. So who is this Son of Man? What is the Son of Man? Why is Jesus talking about the Son of Man? We, it's come up already in Luke's description of Jesus' early life and ministry that we've looked over preceding weeks. I just thought it'd be well, helpful to stop and understand this code name, if you like, that Jesus is using for himself. Because he does, he, he, he's quite happy to associate himself with this Son of Man title. I don't think he's being cloak and dagger particularly. I think he, he's dropping big hints, really big hints. Big clues as to who he is, his identity, of course, to his original Jewish disciples, the original ones. It was a phrase they, they should have or may in time have remembered comes from one of their treasured books in the Old Testament, as we call it, Daniel. Now, Daniel uh, came to prominence in the, in the Babylonian kingdom as a Jew, and God really rose him up to, to be a man of great influence in that empire, but he was a, a worshipper of God. And he gets this vision, this dream from God, and in it, he, he recounts uh, seeing one like a son of man. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 7, because he describes it for us. I, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, referring to God, God the Father, if you like, and was led into his presence. It says, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Who? He, he the one like the son of man. We're not talking about the ancient of days here. We're talking about this figure, this human being type figure that Daniel's seeing who's approached to God into his presence and he's the one given glory and authority and sovereign power. It says all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Worshipped who? Worshipped the one like the son of man. Worshipped this human being. What? Does it make sense? 
And it goes on and says, uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who is this? This son of man will have this everlasting, eternal, indestructible kingdom. So I think in adopting this phrase, the son of man, Jesus is actually referring more to his divinity than he is his humanity. I mean, he's clearly human. He's there before them, flesh and blood. Yeah, he's, he's one like a son of man. He's, he's a human being. But, but he's referring to this prophetic scripture that they may have remembered or will come across again soon, this, son, this figure who, who's, who's both man and God of all glory and authority, who, who deserves the worship of all nations and tribes and tongues of the world, who, who's got this kingdom that will last forever and ever, never be destroyed. Yes, this is Jesus. This is, our, is Jesus. Both God and man. And so it's, it's to him we give our lives, our whole lives, unreservedly, in response to who he is what he's done. We're not just responding to a great teacher, although his teaching was great. We're not just responding to this miracle worker, although his miracles were great. We're responding to this Jesus, man and God. No wonder he demands no rival on the thrones of our hearts. No wonder he's, he's saying it's going to cost you everything. Oh, it's free. Oh, yeah, grace. It's grace. It is. It's free. It's God's gift to you. But it'll cost you everything, your whole life. So there you go. That's really what's in that passage. I just wanted to give you some examples of, of, of these out moments in discipleship from my own life. Um, so I hope they're helpful. Um, my life's different from your life. These things may resonate with you. They may not because you're on a different journey than me. But, but in, in my life, these, these, these topics, these themes that Jesus alerted us to uh, have come up. And at times they're a bit of an ouch moment, and it's a moment for me to respond and, and, and renounce any idolatry in my life, if you like, uh, and to commit again to following Jesus and Jesus alone. So let's talk about money. Money. I remember the challenge of giving when I first got my paycheck, my you know, proper salary paycheck. You know. I remember that feeling. Um, now, I knew the Bible starting point. I was growing up in an environment where I understood that you start giving by giving 10%, giving the tithe, as it's referred to in the Bible. Uh, my mum had modelled this very wonderfully to me. I might have told you once before. Um, so when my dad left her and I was in my mid-teens and she was there taking responsibility for the household, including the four of us, she went back to work, hadn't worked for 16 years and got a part-time job as an OT. I just see Mary over there, an OT, yeah, an OT. And, uh, and I knew, because she, she shared it at a church family meeting once, <laughs> that she gave a tithe right from the beginning of being given paychecks again um, out of what she earned. So I understood the theory, and it sounded quite straightforward, but I guess I parked it in my mind through my teenage years, through my student years, uh, and that now I had my first paycheck. I knew what I wanted. To, I wanted to get a new stereo. I knew I wanted to get a new stereo. I remember that. I go down to Richer Sounds in London and get my kind of. You remember you do these days? Uh, don't do that anymore, do you? All your separates, you know. <laughs> you need a whole cabinet for this thing, you know. It's like <laughs> get a security call, wheeling it home. Oh, dear me. Just this little thing now, isn't it? I saw Graham Becky, you know, they're just a little thing at their party, just blasting out music. It's amazing. How do they do that? 
Anyway, and I just felt, oh, yes, I, I need to put, I'm following Jesus. <laughs> and I felt the challenge of giving from my first, I didn't feel as rich as I thought I would do with my first salary paycheck, I must admit. I thought I was going to buy a car and buy all sorts of things. And it, oh, I've got bills, I've got responsibilities. It's not working out like this. And then I got this little slip of paper, and it showed me, oh, yeah, that's what I got. Oh, wow, for the month. Oh, wonderful. And then what a minus figure. It's kind of income. What? What's no one told me about this? It's daylight robbery. Of course, summer jobs, you kind of not dodge. Uh, no, you, you legitimately bypass income tax in your, during summer jobs and being a student and the like. You never quite earn enough, I guess. Um, I, I just felt the ouch of God say to me, are you going to put me first? I know the tax man got there first, and pay as you give or whatever it's called, pay as you earn is, is, a, is just straightforward. But are you, you going to put me first? Are you going to give me the first fruits? Ouch. Let me tell you, um, nine years ago, I uh, handed in my uh, notice at work uh, in market research to come and join you. And I've never regretted it. <laughs> and I came, and I came to, on staff. Oh, good. I'm glad you thought it was a good idea. I'm glad you think it was a good idea. And uh, I came on staff here at King's to help out. But God did use it. Uh, I feel a bit vulnerable sharing this. But God did use it as an ouch moment on, on the theme of money in my life. <laughs> um, I'm not complaining, by the way. Please, please don't mishear me. I am well paid for what I'm, I do here. You are very Every month I'm blessed by your generosity. So I feel a little bit on a sticky wicket on that level. But no, honestly, I, I, I am very well provided for by you as a church. But for me on my life journey, it did involve halving our household income. It's, a, it's an ouch moment, isn't it? But actually the ouch moment um, came a little bit more detailed than that. I'd, I'd studied a little bit of economics in my time and I understood this concept of opportunity cost. I wish I didn't understand the concept of opportunity cost. Any of you who studied economics? Because it just stared me in the face. Because <laughs> I didn't just see the differential in one year's income. I saw the remaining 20-odd years of my, of, my, of my working life. And if not, I'm saying goodbye to hundreds of thousands. Of, I'm sorry. That's just, I'm just being honest with you. That, and that's, that was the ouch moment. And the pension contribution, and all that went with that for all those years that were to come in my life. But, but it's good. It is good. I felt physically sick for a few weeks, just to <laughs> confess to you. Nauseous at the financial implications of a decision. I, but it was a decision to follow Jesus. That's what it was. I'm not, I'm not heralding it as anything better than any other decision. It was simply a decision to follow Jesus. That was his will for me, for us, for you. Uh, and in it, he chose to kind of, you know, root out something. I didn't know it was there. Oh, yeah, I give to the church. Yeah, yeah, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I'm not materialistic. Ouch! Oh, wow. I just want to give you a little update, actually, because it's on the theme, really. Um, uh, for Carrie and I, thank you so much for praying for us, for sharing with us, for feeding back to us on our journey regarding our future. I just want to give a brief update so you're all in the picture, because I haven't got around to everybody. Over the last few weeks, I've turned down to market research job offers. I didn't think it would be that easy after eight and a half years to go back into that industry, um, and, and the pay increase they would have represented. I just didn't think it was right 
when it came to it. I didn't have peace that it was God's will for us. So I turned them away. It was quite hard to do at one level. It's, it's, they were good jobs. I would have been happy doing those jobs. But I didn't feel it was right in God. Um, thank you for praying for us as we went to explore Guernsey and the opportunity that's there to possibly go and lead the church in Guernsey. We had a nice time in Guernsey. We met some lovely people. It's a lovely church. But when we came away, Karen and I, no, I, I don't think it's right for us or for them. It's not in the will of God. And so God is answering your prayers for clarity. I now know four things that isn't. <laughs> Door, doors I've had to shut, actually. No, it's not that. It's not that. It hasn't shut for me. I've had to shut them. But with God's guidance, with God's discernment, I trust. And uh, I'm still praying now. Therefore, God, will you show clarity on what it is that we step into? Let me talk about satisfaction. Uh, getting real with you here. From a young age, I knew also, because of the background and the, uh, the upbringing I had and the opportunity to hear God's word, that sex is God's wedding gift exclusively reserved for those who get married. Yet there were times in my Christian life as a single man when I had to die to the idol of sexual satisfaction and gratification because I was following Jesus. And, and, and those were ouch moments, ouch moments. There were times in my single life when following Jesus meant ending romantic relationships. I should put, I say romantic relationship. It was one at a time. It wasn't like, <laughs> that came out. I regretted the plural. The plural's not here. <laughs> and it wasn't because I didn't have feelings for the other person, but they weren't following Jesus that I was, or at least I was trying to, thinking I was, following him. And I knew, I knew the Bible said, do not be yoked to an unbeliever. And I shouldn't have been involved in that relationship in the first place. It was another ouch, ouch, ouch. And any, any of you disciples who have been following Jesus for any length of time will have your ouch, 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 ouch moments. But you better say, in it all, yeah, it was the right thing to do. And in it all, in it all, somehow it felt like a cost, but somehow I've gained. Somehow I've gained. Somehow I've gained a, a, some new level of satisfaction in God that I didn't know existed. Somehow I've gained a, a new joy in my life that is, is from the Lord that is different from the world's form of happiness. Somehow in the all, I, I know there are rich rewards in, in God for taking this path. So it's, it, that's how it is. The culture that we're in regards the pursuit of love as I put in my original sacrosanct, but Carrie said, no one will know what that means. I don't know what it means really, but kind of holy, kind of the thing, the ultimate, the goal of all of life. And Jesus says, no, 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 it isn't. Yeah, I, I, I've provided for it. It's, it's there. It's part of my creation, but pursuing me is the most important thing and the ultimate thing. And the lasting, satisfying thing that you can ever have, even if it costs romantic love. I just want to clarify again, I feel there's all sorts of trip hazards in here, things I'm not saying. If you're married to an unbeliever, I believe the Bible is very clear. God's will is that you remain married as much as it's down to you. Okay? We're all on a different journey. We've all come into Christ or understanding of Christ and his word at different points and junctures. But that's, that's how it is. Let me just say a few things about popularity. I, I, I rarely find witnessing opportunities easy in a breeze. 
Do you? Some of you seem to. Maybe none of you do. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I bite the bullet and I go for it. And sometimes, sometimes I kick myself afterwards because I've missed it. That's, that's, my, that's my record. Perhaps I still need to experience some more freedom in Christ. I no doubt I do to help me in this area. But perhaps Jesus just wants it to cost me something. Perhaps it's meant to be an ouch moment. Maybe for me, maybe more broadly for many of us. I was encouraged. A badminton buddy of mine, I played badminton on Wednesday, asked me as we were sitting down waiting to have another go, as we were panting, <laughs> trying to catch our breath. Um, and I tried not to pant quite so much as him because I wanted to show that I was actually, you know. Uh, no, I wasn't doing that. And he asked me, what's the difference, Tim, between your church and the Anglicans and the Catholics? Uh, here's, a, here's a witnessing opportunity. Kind of now going in slow motion, what would I do? Well, immediately, my brain was starting to answer the direct question. Oh, I can answer that question. I, I know a little bit about church history. And then I had to stop myself about half a sentence in thinking, hmm, that's not going to cost me very much to talk about church history. That's not really going to present the body of Christ very well, talking about the divisions in church history. It might be the answer to his question. That's not really the opportunity I've got here. So thankfully, I <coughs> screeched and turned the corner and went down a different tack. And and I mean, it doesn't sound like it, cost, it would, should cost me much at all, but it felt like a little deal at the time. I said, you know what? We believe the same thing. We believe that God came to earth as Jesus, that Jesus lived the perfect life that none of us have lived, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, including yours and mine, and that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today and will give you eternal life if you put your trust in him felt like it cost me something. Why did it? It didn't really, did it? I didn't even lose a friend. He still played badminton with me afterwards. You know what I mean? So maybe it's meant, meant to feel a little bit like that. And I thank God that I could turn the corner in the middle of that conversation. You know, I just want to emphasize, God is not a hard taskmaster. He's not a killjoy. He's quite the opposite. He doesn't want you to miss out. Have you heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment in 1972? Some psychologists in a university, I guess it's in Stanford University, um, explored the dynamics of delayed gratification. They put a children one at a time in a room with nothing more than a marshmallow. And they said, look, you can do this. You can either eat your marshmallow or, or a treat of your choice. If you don't like marshmallows, they might have changed it. Uh, and, but if you wait for 15 minutes, you'll get two if you don't eat it. What would you do? <laughs> Try it this afternoon. <laughs> don't, give you, don't give your family lunch. Just put a marshmallow in the room. Right. You can, you can eat that and go hungry the rest of the day, or you can have your lunch by waiting 15 minutes. Um, anyway, I won't tell you the results, and they've been debated ever since. But anyway, there's something of that sense of delayed gratification that Jesus is saying, I believe, to his disciples here in this moment with his blessings and his woes. He's saying, if you pursue worldly wealth and satisfaction, happiness and popularity now, the benefits may be immediate, but they will be shallow and they will be temporary. But if you solely pursue me now, the reward may be delayed, but it will be far better. It will be superior and permanent. 
In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek or pursue first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, including the things we've been looking at today, provision, satisfaction, pleasures, relationships, will be given to you as well. Will be given to you as well. I believe, as I say, we get a taste of it even in this life, a deposit of the fullness that is still to come. You know, some of the most miserable people I've met in life are Christians who compromise. They're more miserable than anyone else, I've, I've, I've discovered from my, you know, my little poll. They've got this faith in Jesus, and that's a good thing, but they're also pursuing these worldly pursuits. And ironically, they seem to miss out on both. <laughs> yeah? they, they miss out on, on, the, on the joy of following Jesus in this life, let alone the life to come, even if it involves being beheaded or martyred or whatever it might be. And they seem to even miss out on those temporary fixes that sin gives you. They don't seem to get, you know, the full measure that ignorant sinners get <laughs> when they follow those things. They're kind of torn. They're kind of robbed even of that. And I just want to end with this. Jesus, of course, is our model. He's our example. He didn't say anything here that he didn't model and go through himself. His is a story of, of riches to rags, of plenty to poverty, of regalia to rejection, of splendor to sorrow and suffering. That is his journey. What motivated him? What made him do that? What made him keep going through the death threats and the bitter betrayals and, and the false arrests and the unjust sentence and the slow death of crucifixion? What kept him going? when his father was absent from him. It was the promise of delayed gratification. Hebrews 12 puts it like this, for the joy that was set before him. Ahead, ahead, that was to come. That was the, would be the result of his death. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, my brackets, in those ouch discipleship moments. Consider him. See, Jesus gave up everything for us. We're his joy. Do you know that? We're the joy that was set before him, that kept him going. We're his eternal reward if we're following him. I just want to end by saying, look, it's great following Jesus. I wouldn't recommend anything else. But there are some ouch moments. Discipleship sometimes hurts, but it is worth it. So let's completely surrender to him. Let's pursue him with everything we have, whatever the cost. After all, it's in him that we find riches and contentment and joy and belonging far beyond anything that this world can offer. Amen? Amen, amen. Thank you.